Well, they say when you fall off a horse, you got to get right back on. So I fell off the horse last week a little bit with my introductory attention getter. Who was here last week? Who was here last week? Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say this, though. You should consider listening carefully to a pastor who can shuffle cards before your very eyes, and those cards remain in the same order that they were before he shuffled them. I don't know what that means, but it means something. Anyway, right now, I'm going to get on the horse again. You ready? I want you to look at this. Can everybody see it? Everybody see this? Raise your hand if you see a beautiful young woman. Okay, thank you. Raise your hand if you see an ugly old hag. Raise your hand if you see both of them. Raise your hand if you don't see both of them. You can look at this later. It'll be up here. Whether you see an ugly old hag or a beautiful young woman in this drawing depends on how you see the contrasts between the, the black and the white because both old hag and beautiful young woman are contained in the very same picture. Which one you see, again, depends on how you see the contrasts. And so it is for you and for me, the old life, the sin life, the ugly old hag life remains in us. And that life fights for survival, that life fights to be seen. Look at me. It does not want to fade into the background so that only the beautiful new life, the better life, the beautiful life in Christ is seen. So which life will be most seen in you? Depends on how you see the contrasts. Transformation comes to our lives when we see and live out of the better, more beautiful contrast. One of the most famous contrast verses in all of Scripture is Isaiah 55. God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as, high as, the, heavens, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. And my thoughts than your thoughts. See, there's the contrast. God's ways are higher. God's thoughts are higher. Transformation comes then. The old and ugly fades and the beautiful new life is seen when we see and live out of the better, more beautiful contrast. Here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is going to say five times, You have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, But I say to you, see, there's contrast of what we have heard said and what Jesus says. So the transformation comes, the ugly old life fades, and the beautiful new life is seen when we see and live out of that better, more beautiful contrast. We think strong. God thinks weak. We think put together. God thinks broken. We think rich. God thinks poor. We must live in God's contrasts. And that means you and I must look for those contrasts so that we may live out of the better, beautiful ones that we see and thereby you and I can be transformed more and more to the image of Christ. We're going to see those contrasts as we come this morning again to Matthew chapter 5 and continue our study on the Sermon of the Mount. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. 
And when you found your place, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we can hear read together the word of the living God. This is the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word, as always. And as always, Lord, we need your spirit to teach us this morning, to take your truth and to use it to transform our lives. That's what we seek, Lord. We want to be changed. We want to be made more and more like you. Show us how to do it through your word. Empower us to do it by your spirit. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So this morning we come to this first beatitude, the first vital contrast that you and I must see and and live out of. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the contrast that we need to see this morning is what it means to be poor in spirit and what it does not mean to be poor in spirit. So let's consider first what it does not mean to be poor in spirit. Now Jesus knows everyone's heart and mind. Yours, mine, everyone. He, he knows what's there, so he has no need for tests, to give us a test. When he does give tests or ask questions, it's not so that he can find out information, it's so that we can discover something about ourselves. So I wish that Jesus had begun this teaching with a test. That's what I used to do when I was a teacher. I would start the class with a pop quiz. And so I wish Jesus had begun this teaching with a little fill-in-the-blank test for his disciples and all that were listening that would draw a contrast between what their reality was and what true reality is. And so I wish Jesus said, now take out a piece of paper, take out a parchment and number one through nine. And beside each number, I want you to write a word or two to complete this sentence. Blessed are the. Now go ahead. You have about three minutes to finish this test. All right, quills down, passing your parchments. What might their answers have been? Well, we know a little bit about the culture of Jesus' day, particularly about the religious culture and how it was dominated by the religious leaders. And and we know the expectations for the kind of Messiah that would, would come to them, ruling over a powerful earthly kingdom, So undoubtedly, some of the answers put in the blank would have been these. Blessed are the rich. Blessed are the politically powerful. Blessed are the healthy and prosperous. Blessed are the strong. Blessed are the beautiful. Blessed are the popular. How would you fill in the blank? You look around your world every day, and you make judgments or at least evaluations about the people who are around you and about your life in contrast to their life. You know what you think blessing is. How would you fill in the blank 
Blessed are the what? Dun, 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 dun. Now, pass in your papers. See, I bet not one piece of parchment from the disciples or a piece of paper collected from us would have the word poor written on it. No one would write, blessed are the poor. And so that's the purpose of the test, to expose our thinking. When we fill in the blank honestly, then we began to see the contrast. And our answers stand in stark contrast to how Jesus fills in the blank, blessed are the poor in spirit. The question is, how can the poor be blessed in anything? Even the most religious-minded there would have not written that answer because the well-dressed religious leaders who were part of the crowd on this day, they were living illustrations of the blessing of God. They were the most blessed. That's why they were rich. That's why they were well-dressed. That's why they were socially prominent. Because they were blessed by God. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Again, how can there be any sort of blessing in any kind of poverty? But Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so Jesus' contrast requires a huge shift in our thinking. And Jesus' contrast calls us to, to revision, and it calls us to radical change. And if you weren't here last week, let me just tell you, those are our two words that we're keeping in mind as we go through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Radical and revision. Radical, as far as that's concerned, we need a thoroughgoing radical change. All of us need that. As far as revisioning goes, we need to see ourselves and we need to see others for who we can be and who we are enabled to be by the Spirit of the living God. So unless you're willing to look hard at that contrast, blessed are the poor. And revision your life and radically live out of that contrast, you will never be transformed. If we see ourselves as rich, independent, self-sufficient, we must revision ourselves and see ourselves as poor and needy. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? What does it not mean? What does it not mean? Let's consider that contrast. Poverty of spirit is not your slumping your shoulders, hanging your head, sticking out your lower lip, and saying with an Igor-esque voice, Woe is me. I'm not good for anything. That's not poverty of spirit. Psalm 8 says, You are created a little lower than the angels. And you have been crowned with glory and with honor. Being poor in spirit is not saying of yourself or of anyone else that you're worthless or without value or without dignity. That's not poverty of spirit. Neither is poverty of spirit a matter of personality type with which you're born. Shy, passive, non-aggressive, don't pay any attention to little old me. I'm just as humble as an old shoe. That's not synonymous with poor in spirit. Poor in spirit cannot refer to a personality type because all personality types who follow Christ 
are required to be poor in spirit. Think about Peter for a moment. Who in Scripture is more type A than Peter? Who is bolder? Who is more brash? Who else but Peter would have the nerve to talk back to Jesus when Jesus says, yes, I will, and Peter says, no, you won't? That's Peter. In a flash, he draws out a sword to protect Jesus. And so Peter is neither shy nor passive nor non-aggressive nor humble as an old shoe, but Peter is poor in spirit. Because when this bold, brash fisherman encountered the miracle-working Jesus, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Peter doesn't in that moment suddenly become quiet and shy and non-aggressive. He continues to be bold and brash, but still poor in spirit. Because being poor in spirit is not a matter of personality. Think of the Apostle Paul. Perhaps the contrast to Peter. He wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He tells the people, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. They said of him, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. And yet Paul was the greatest missionary and church planter the world has ever known. Why? In his own words, Paul says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. So rest assured that being poor in spirit is not a personality type with which you are born. Becoming poor in spirit doesn't mean you have to change your personality. It's not easier for the weak, fearful, trembling person to be poor in spirit than it is for the bold, brash and brave one. So what then is poverty of spirit? What does it mean? What's the contrast here? What's the better way? What's the more beautiful way? What's the way that will lead to transformation so that the old ugly life fades away and the beautiful life of Christ emerges? The adjective poor here, it comes from a word that meant to cower or to bow timidly. It described the posture of a beggar as he held out his cup, hoping that passers-by would drop in a few coins. Poor means to be destitute or beggarly. The poor had nothing. Their stomachs were empty. They didn't have shelter by day or by night. They had no place to turn, and therefore they were completely dependent on other people. So Jesus makes a dramatic contrast here by attaching the word poor not to the physical body, but instead to the spirit. And in this contrast, there is potential for great transformation. To be spiritually poor is to be totally dependent, just like the beggar who had nothing to give to God, but can only receive from God to be spiritually poor is to have a hunger in your soul a gnawing that nothing can satisfy except God alone to be spiritually poor is to feel completely 
exposed and have nowhere to turn except the Lord for refuge and for strength. One commentator described poor in spirit this way, without pretense before God, stripped of all self-sufficiency, self-security, and self-righteousness. You and I just need to admit that none of us really wants to be poor and needy. We don't. We want to be independent. We want to be self-sufficient. I have a theory that most Christians are trying to reach a place in their lives, though they don't realize it, where they really don't need God. We're looking for that sweet spot, that place of smooth sailing, where if God never intervened, we would be okay. It's a place that's marked by prayerlessness because we believe we have it all under control. And that's what we want. We don't like to be poor or needy. We don't like to be vulnerable. We don't like our neediness to show. We definitely don't want our brokenness to show. We like to be strong. That's our nature. That's the ugly old self that wants to be seen. Look at me. I'm strong and independent. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians, How foolish can you be after starting your Christian lives in the Spirit? There's the poverty. They had nothing but what the Spirit gave to them. Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? What's the answer? Because we don't like to be poor. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you for the hands for the hand up, but, but I'll take over from here. And so you and I have got to see the contrast, even here in Scripture, even among believers, between human effort and spiritual poverty. Because transformation comes, and that ugly old life will only fade away, and the beautiful new life in Christ will only be seen when we live out the better and the more beautiful contrast. Spiritual poverty is the better way, the more beautiful way. Let's look at some pictures of it that we see in Scripture. David wrote in Psalm 86, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life. Be gracious to me, O Lord. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. David was not materially poor. He was rich. He was a king. He had a powerful army. But still David saw himself as a poor man. Because he knew that in spite of all he had, he was still utterly dependent on God. He needed God, and he knew it. And David saw the contrast between all that he had and what the Lord had. And he was transformed because he learned and leaned into that contrast. His old life faded away, and his faith life began to show because he knew it was the Lord who must deliver. It's the Lord who must save. Even kings, even those who had slain a powerful giant. 
That's poverty of spirit. David did not trust in himself or in his things. In the midst of his wealth, he depended totally on the Lord. The Lord came to Gideon. He said to Gideon, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? And Gideon replied, but Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. There is poverty of spirit. How can I do it, Lord? I don't have what it takes. I'm the least of the least. I can't do it without you. That's poverty of spirit. And seeing the contrast between human strength and the strength of the Lord. Transformation happens in that place. The Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you have brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Moses said to the Lord, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Look, Moses had already stood multiple times fearlessly before Pharaoh of Egypt, the most powerful man in all the earth. Moses had already called down plagues from heaven on that man. Moses had already led millions of people out of slavery in Egypt to freedom. Moses had already stretched out his staff over the Red Sea and had parted. Surely, at this point in your life and with this experience, when the Lord says, go, you just say, sure, Lord, no problem. Let's go, guys. But that's not what you say. When you know poverty of spirit, when you're poor in spirit, you say, Lord, unless you go, I cannot go. I need you, Lord. I must have you, Lord. I can't do it on my own. No matter who you are. No matter what you've already accomplished, this is poverty of spirit. And seeing the contrast between depending on the presence of people and depending on the presence of the Lord, transformation takes place in that contrast. Mary, Jesus' own mother, sings as she carries the unborn Jesus in her womb, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty tax collector, Jesus tells us, stood at a great distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So in these verses, we begin to see that poverty of spirit is an acknowledgement of inability before God. It's simply saying that before God, you have nothing to recommend that should cause Him to love you or accept you. It's acknowledging that it doesn't matter what you've accomplished or who you know or where you went to school or what your last name was. None of that matters before God because you still need God 
absolutely and completely. Poverty of spirit is an attitude you have about yourself when you come face to face with God. Coram Deo, before the face of God. Imagine being in that place. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, If one feels anything in the presence of God, save an utter poverty of spirit, it it ultimately means that you have never faced Him. That's what this beatitude means. The one then who is poor in spirit, if that's you, when it comes their turn, To approach the throne of God face to face. Begin singing, no thing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked I come to you for dress. Helpless I look to you for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly Wash me, Savior, or I die. That's poverty of spirit. Because we know we have nothing in our hands. We know that anything that looked shiny and bright and impressive on earth, especially in comparison to what others had or did, those things in the presence of God look cheap and tawdry and pitiful. And we've got to see that contrast, the contrast between what we have to offer and what God has to give to us. We have nothing to give to God. God has everything to give to us. And He does so freely and graciously and compassionately through Jesus Christ. Is that good news? Transformation will only come in our lives when we see that contrast and live out of it. So we've got to radically Revision our lives and become poor in spirit. And very quickly, this one final contrast to to note about this beatitude. And that's the contrast between emptying and filling. This is the only beatitude of those listed here that requires an emptying. And that's what poverty is all about. Emptying ourselves, having nothing. And so we must empty ourselves of pride, and we must empty ourselves of self-confidence, and we must empty ourselves of assurance and self-reliance. We've got to empty ourselves for something better. Because when you and I are empty, then we can be filled. Filled with the comfort that Jesus promises in verse 4. When you're empty, when you're hungry and thirsty, then you can be filled or satisfied as Jesus promises in verse 6. When you're empty, then you can be filled with the mercy Jesus promises in verse 7. When you're empty, then your eyes can be filled with the vision of God as Jesus promises in verse 8. Calvin writes, He only who is reduced to nothing in himself and relies on the mercy of God is poor in spirit. And so the emptying has to come before the filling. When you empty yourself... You're poor in spirit. And when you're empty and poor in spirit, then you can be filled with the good things of God. His spirit, His love, His grace, His mercy, His compassion, His justice. 
I don't even need to take time to comment on the transformation that takes place in our lives when we're filled with these good things. And so we must empty ourselves so the Lord can fill us. And Jesus modeled that very thing for us. He chose, Jesus did, to come to earth and live as a man. And he lived out that life as a man on earth, totally dependent on the Father. He said, the words I speak are not my own, they are my Father's words. The work you see me doing, that's the Father doing his work through me. Then, of course, we look at the prayer life of Jesus and see his utter dependence on the Father. So in the flesh, even Jesus himself was poor in spirit. He was dependent on his Father, and so must you and I be dependent on him because we're poor and needy. That's the only way transformation is going to come to our lives. And so this beatitude, this first one, stands at the beginning of the list and at the beginning of the entire Sermon on the Mount, which is all about the kingdom of heaven. Because, listen, there will be no one in the kingdom of heaven who is not poor in spirit. There will not be one person in the kingdom of heaven who is not poor in spirit. If you are not poor in spirit, the kingdom will not be yours. So listen, be radical right now. Give up pride. Give up independence. Give up self-sufficiency. Be humble. Be broken. Be needy before the Lord. Be radical. If you have never acknowledged that you need Jesus Christ to be your Savior, do it now. Because guess what? Jesus has already revisioned your life. And it is a life that is so much better than you could ever imagine. More beautiful than you thought your life could ever be. So be radical and turn in faith to Jesus Christ. Admit your poverty and your neediness of Him. If you've already done that, If you're already part of the family, don't be foolish like the Galatians. Don't be proud like the Galatians, thinking they could make it on their own strength. You can't. Stay poor. Cry out like David, I am poor and needy. To you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Pray like Moses, if your presence does not go with me, Lord, I don't want to go. These are poor in spirit prayers. These are transformational prayers and they cause the old life, the ugly life, to fade away and the better, more beautiful life of Christ to be seen in you and me. And that's what we want. Wouldn't you agree? Let's pray together. Lord, we are thankful now and we will forever be thankful for contrasts. Lord, we're so thankful that you are higher than us, that you are beyond us, that you are above us. Lord, 
Otherwise, you would be like us, and what hope is there in that? Thank you, Lord, that you speak to us so clearly from your word, that you reveal those contrasts to us, Lord, so that we can rethink our lives, so that we can revision our lives, so that we can be radical in our lives and live out of those contrasts. Lord, we desire more and more, day by day, for for the old life, the ugly life, the self-life, the independent life. Lord, we want it to, to be pushed back further and further into the shadows until the point when our life is shown before people. All they see is the new life in Christ. So if they ask, where's that old life? Where's that ugly life? And Lord, we can say it's gone. Not because of what we do, but because of what you do in us and through us as we acknowledge our great need for you. Lord, bring about that transformation in our lives, we pray. And Lord, while we pray, we pray for those here in this room this morning who may not yet know you, Lord Jesus, as the great transformer, the one who can meet every need, the one who can satisfy the the gnawing in the Spirit. Lord, the one who can give safety when we feel exposed. Lord, the one who can give us refuge when we feel there's no place to go. That's you, Lord Jesus. So give anyone here in that position, Lord, the courage to place their faith and trust in you. Father, I pray that you would help us live in your strength and not ours. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.